Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Today's episode is with David Bingham, a leading voice in the world of consciousness. David was a spiritual seeker for nearly 30 years before realizing his true nature in 2005 while listening to a podcast of the American non-duality teacher, John Wheeler. Gradually following realization, he started speaking one-to-one with people seeking to realize their true nature. And Effortless Being is the core aspect of his approach, and his interview on Consciousness TV was a major inspiration for Rhonda Byrne's creation of The Secret, which she publicly talks about uh, as the inspiration. So thank you so much for joining us today, David. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. So David, to kick it off, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the moment that you, let's say, woke up and what that experience was like for you. Because I think a lot of people are confused about what it even means to wake up. Uh, So maybe we could just start there. Okay. Well, realization is actually quite different to the way it's sometimes um, expected to be. It's really when we discover that we're suffering from a case of mistaken identity in human experience because we've we've accepted through all our conditioning that we're existing in time and space as a human being. But actually, all along, we're existing as the infinite being. There is only one being, and we're all it. And we've actually consented to different levels of experience, and uh, we've actually arrived at the human level. Um, which is almost a kind of disguise. So realization is actually realization of one's true nature, which is that we're eternal, infinite, timeless. And the realization of that and the integration in human experience makes a a huge difference to the possibilities available to us. So specifically, like when you say... um you know, the realization of being more than just human. I think a lot of people have questions around what that means. Um, and especially, you know, the mo- the people who are maybe fixated in this three-dimensional world of what you can only see, touch, hear, smell. So how do you, how do you sort of not convince, but maybe make available this idea that we, that there is consciousness and not just the human uh, on this earth? Because I I personally have had a very difficult time <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to have that conversation uh, with, with someone who is, doesn't get it, uh, doesn't yes. quite understand. The distinction really is between the functioning of the mind, which we're conditioned into utilizing, and, uh, and actually resting as what we truly are, which is effortless being. Because Effortless being is what we are before there's any motion. So before the mind moves into motion or before emotions begin, there is simply this infinite field and it's available to everyone because it's what we all essentially are. It's just that it's it's overlaid with the mind and the mind is an instrument of limitation and it's a dualistic instrument. So we tend to use the mind to make comparisons. We kind of built build a conceptual identity from a very early age of who we are. And so the mind really is the device which keeps us 
in the human mode of experience. But fortunately, the opportunity to actually rest as what we truly are is something which is actually extremely simple and also very accessible to everyone because all creativity comes from our innate nature. So any kind of creativity, whether it's art or music or writing or or poetry, business, any kind of any kind of creative activity is actually coming directly from our essential nature. We've actually been um, misled in a way to believe that it's the mind which produces these things, but the mind is more like a commentator, and um, so there is much more which is arising from our infinite nature than people realize. Mm, yeah, and. I'm curious, like, what kind of practices you do to deal with the mind? Uh, or are you at this point not even, you know, <laughs> taken over by the mind that, like so many of us are? Uh, do you have moments where you kind of fall out of this effortless being? And how do you get back? Uh, and also, how do you deal with others who are entirely in the mind? We, we actually communicate as human beings telepathically much more than people realize. So um, there's, there's actually a, a basis to the way we communicate. So we kind of sense intuitively um, what's going on with someone before we engage in a conversation. So we can feel the energy and we can get an idea of what their approach is. And, and so quite often by having a genuine feeling of treating others as oneself, which is really knowing that they are truly the same being as oneself, then there's usually a receptivity uh, and, and it's, 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 it's usually harmonious as well because uh, for many people, the mind is, is trying to assert itself. So it's trying to actually assert individuality. But when, when, that, when the need to assert in that way dissolves, then actually most relationships are harmonious because there's no opposition. It's a bit like the, the martial arts technique, you yield to overcome. So you really just let go. And if there's a genuine feeling, you know, of compassion towards someone, then that that becomes recognized in most people. And, and so relationships can become much more harmonious because we're as humans, we're kind of defending a fake entity because the we actually remain as the infinite being. No one's ever actually become a human being. That you know that may sound outrageous, but actually, it's the truth. We've all remained as the eternal infinite being, and the human body is more like a virtual reality suit. You know, and for people who've you know put on a virtual reality headset. Um, and seeing how realistic that the environment can appear, uh, we can see that actually the human realm of experience is only a much more sophisticated version of that kind of experience. Mm. Well, then, David, what is the purpose of being a human then in your perspective? Like, why, why even do this all if we are this effortless being and this consciousness, this infinite why take on the experience? And also, do you have to deal with so much suffering? Yes, well, we, we actually arrive at the human level. Um, it's a kind of end point in a way, because um, using the Indian 
version. Um, the, the, uh, in Indian philosophy, they, they speak of the koshas, which are actually sheaths of consciousness. So there's a sheath of bliss, there's a sheath of wisdom, there's the sheath of the mind, the sheath of the emotions, and then the physical body. And so to actually arrive at the human level of experience, we we tend to have already had experiences in the other realms, or and, and actually we're able to access them all. You know, one of the misperceptions these days is that we're existing as a human being in time and space, but actually we we're remaining as the infinite being, and and what we we're, we're actually able to do is to project our consciousness through these various sheaths, and the more we become aware that that's a possibility, then the more easily available it is so it's possible to guide people to be able to function through those various filters and and actually to answer the question it's really that because our true nature is infinite as we're already infinite we can't go beyond infinite we can only have experiences of limitation so the the human realm is an experience of extreme limitation and it's uh it's quite a dramatic realm really but with the with the knowing of one's infinite nature, it gives it a completely different perspective. Whereas if we think we really are a human being existing in time and space and, you know, subject to all of the dangers which appear in this realm, then it seems quite scary. But uh, realizing one's true nature enables us to um, see it in perspective, but also to gain access to other um, you know, other realms of consciousness, which are just much more stable. Mm, yeah. You know, David, when I had the experience of realization, um, my whole body also changed because there's such a deep relaxation that happens when you feel like you don't have to carry all the, I guess, weight of your life and that there's like a more of a higher power or like some, yes. uh, you know, higher power that is that that has a, a greater kind of uh, purpose um, than yes. than you even know about, right? And it's so interesting because yes. I think a lot of us sort of, you know, I myself included, spent a large part of my life like growing up, you know, with different religious backgrounds, then became an atheist, then found this spiritual path, and uh, and it seems like it's it's around us everywhere. I mean, if you look at nature, right? It's like the perfect the perfection of math in nature is just so profound um, that yes. I think it's it's a bit arrogant of our human mind to think that there's no, you know, greater kind of organization, like something that we humans can't create the earth, right? So <laughs> it's yes. interesting. So David, I want to talk a little bit about um, the inspiration that you also had uh, in realizing your true nature when listening to John Wheeler, was there anything in particular that he said um, that kind of sparked this realization for you? Or did you kind of feel that you always knew it, but just couldn't put words around this feeling? It's um, realization. Quite often there's a phrase used, which is the gateless gate. And for most people, there's a, there's a development which is taking place and, it's almost like having a little puzzle and you have all the pieces on the table, but then with a little bit of guidance here and there, it's possible to put them together where you see the full picture. And that's really what John Wheeler did for me. And it was, it was really just making the distinction between what's permanent 
and what is uh, and what's temporary. And uh, he he uses the word awareness. So the the way he uses the word awareness, he makes it realise that there is awareness of um, various forms appearing. So there's awareness of thoughts appearing. There's awareness of emotions appearing, uh, sensations, perceptions, and they're all appearing. And the forms all come and go, but actually the awareness is is stable and permanent. And the way that John actually described uh, the the arising of forms in awareness enabled me to see just really clearly that what we truly are is never changing. It's just totally stable. And ev- so everything everything that is appearing, everything that's coming and going, so whether it's the thoughts, the emotions, the sensations, the perceptions, they they're all they're all constantly changing. But that which is knowing the change is actually non-changing. So that's true for everyone. So the knower of all the forms is actually unchanging. And that's actually quite easy to see in some ways because, you know, take the experience as a young child. We, we're aware of certain things arising, and there, so there can be sounds, there can be sensations, there can be taste of food, there could be the sound of our mum in the kitchen, there could be the sound of the TV, um, there could be a feeling of tiredness. All these forms are appearing in consciousness, and the the knower of all those forms never changes. But through the the construct of time and space, and you know everything that is kind of reinforcing that is is really um, try, well. It's kind of tying us into uh, limitation. But the the one thing which is totally stable and permanent is the knower of everything that is known and and the knower the awareness or the beingness or the consciousness using those different terms for the same thing is totally stable and unchanging and so that's really uh the simplicity of realization it's just that we've been distracted by all the forms and so the forms are captivating our awareness but actually we've we've forgotten to notice that the one thing which never changes is that which is aware of all the changing. Hmm. Wow, that's such a powerful point. I'm even just going back to the example that you shared and thinking about my own life, like even if I look back on my life and observe it, there's always been an observer of my life. Yes. You know, like even there are moments when I had when I was a kid when my brain was not fully developed, my emotional world was not fully developed yet i knew that there was some awareness of this life yes trying you know making sense of it and uh yes so that's powerful wow great great example so david i want to talk a little bit about uh the idea of awareness you know that's also something rhonda burns used um yes. in her work with the secret and uh, I'm I'm curious if you could share with us the relationship that you guys had and how you inspired her um, in this concept of awareness and and also maybe how you have changed your own opinion of of that concept like through the work for each of us and uh, what I would say is that anyone actually listening to this program 
is already well on the way to realization because if there wasn't a, a level of clarity, there would be no appeal whatsoever in listening to this kind of conversation. So for everyone, really, it's just to accept the possibility of realization because it, it, it's, it's realization of what we truly already are. And so with, with Rhonda, it was a kind of development because I did some recordings on Conscious TV between 2008 and 2011, and, and Rhonda listened to those. And there was a particular point um, in her life in 2016 where there were some quite challenging things happening. And so she she listened to to one of the, the, the recordings and and I think she was just very attentive at that time because she was looking for an end to this turbulence. And so she she kind of followed the track that I'd mentioned, which is to the John Wheeler podcast, which is on my YouTube channel, available to everyone. And um and she listened to what John had to say. And there was there was a level of clarity which came in for Rhonda at that time. But then she she contacted me for conversation, and we only had two or three conversations. But actually, um, she realized her true nature in the first conversation, that it was that it, it's as though there was already a clarity which had arisen having listened to John Wheeler. But then quite often it's just a fine-tuning that's required. And so that's really... Um, what happens in one-to-one conversations. That's how it's been with Rhonda, and that's how it's been with most people. And it's amazing, really, but it it just demonstrates the infinite intelligence that is available through effortless being because everything in the way uh, I've communicated with people over the years has resulted in a kind of really clear match between um, the person contacting me and what they actually need to hear. So they, on so, on some level, there's a resonance where they realise that there's something which can provide the next step in in their own realisation, and that's really what happened with Rhonda. There was, you know, she'd listened to probably all the interviews on Conscious TV, and you know, there were many of them by 2016, you know, all the major spiritual teachers were realized, but for some reason there was a resonance with with my version of things. And so her intuition was totally spot on because realization happened uh, as a result of following her intuition. And, and that's that's really the important thing with everyone. It's 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 following it's following that kind of heightened sense of inspiration you know what makes you really feel expansive and empowered and a feeling of joy usually accompanies those things and uh it's it's the the teachers or the 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 knowledge which is available um in that way that um that is the 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 most important thing to follow but I'd just like to say something here, Yasmin, which is that what's happening this year, and I'm noticing it, you know, very often is there's actually spontaneous realization happening. There are, you know, there are people who are writing to me and they just say, you know, that they read a particular phrase or they heard a particular statement and there was instant realization. And so that's, uh, and, and also um, there are, 
um, many people who've contacted contacted me this year, uh, and I was thinking that they were seeking realization, but there is already realization, and so they contacted me because they just wanted some further refinement and, and clarification. So that um, that that's really the the opportunity for realization is really becoming available widely now for those who are ready. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I also think a lot of people are probably recognizing the moment that they have this sense of real self-realization that their old life made no sense, you know, before. Yes. Uh, yes. Cause I kind of look back to a period of my life where I was definitely, um, I guess, unconscious about the, you know, my true nature and, was it was just fascinating to kind of look at the program that I was running and the goals that I was chasing and how I was showing up in this world and then what mattered you know and i yes. i think that's the scariest part like how much of what we do 99% of the day is really determined by this idea of our self-realization and true nature because we would probably be doing things very different you know, yes. um, so I'd actually like to double click on this point, um, which I believe came up um, in another conversation that you had. And I thought it was very interesting. The difference between self-realization and consciousness. How would you distinguish the two? Consciousness is ever present for everyone. Uh, as we were saying earlier, the, the knower, which is consciousness, um, is aware of everything. So even if people are actually quite absorbed in their personal life, so they could be ringing their friends to say, oh, this happened to me today, and they're kind of, um, you know, explaining circumstances and things. The thing to know is the, the only way that that can be known is by consciousness. So everyone is already infinite consciousness. It's just that there's the identification with individuality, which is also there. But self-realization is when is when we see that the that individuality is only a mode of experience. It isn't what we truly are. So there's a a mode which I call the subject-object mode, which is installed probably up until the age of two. So right to the age of two we're actually resting as effortless beings. So before the age of two, you know, if anyone has children or if they have photographs of themselves when they're really young, you know, look into the eyes of those children and you'll see this relaxation and bliss usually, unless there's been traumatic experience. And and that is, um, that is the place we begin. So we actually begin and remain as this unified field of consciousness. It's just that gradually we build this mode of experience where initially we, we're kind of listening to our parents uh, having a conversation and, and then they, we, we start to hear this name and then we realize at some point they're applying it to us. So we, we actually, we're resting as this infinite field, which is there, there's no disturbance in it whatsoever. And, and then we, we kind of observe that there's this little game being played between our parents and then they want to include us in it. And there's a point where it registers that the name applies to us. And then we, we see it as a kind of invitation to play the game. So when they say, oh, 
would you like a drink of water or would you like something to eat? And they call us by name. Then, then we start responding as though we are this, as though we are this body mind. But prior to that, the body mind is actually seen to belong to the um, three-dimensional world along with all else. So there's a body mind, but there could be a table, there could be chairs, there could be the room, the life, um, other people around. And initially it's seen as a unified field. So it, it's just seen that everything belongs to this field, including the body mind. And at that, at, at that stage, we're, we're experiencing life more as though we're kind of looking through the eyes and, and looking into this three-dimensional realm rather than feeling that we're part of it. But then as we become more familiar with that mode of experience where our parents are calling us by name and then we respond to them and, and then they're referring to personal attributes, oh, this is our little girl, you know, she's got dark hair and she's, you know, she's good at um, – playing or you know she likes watching tv and you know all of these sort of personal elements uh, become included but actually the the just the open space of unified consciousness is what remains and so realization is just to see that we, round about the age of two, embarked upon this game of limitation where we're pretending we're a human being existing in time and space. And then there's just a reversion to actually see, well, we never became that. We've always just been this infinite field of consciousness within which all forms are arising. And, uh, and then we realize, well, actually, it's always been that, that. It's only ever been an infinite field of consciousness. It's only ever been a unified field within which everything is appearing. And so w once that's seen, then we can never go back to identification with individuality. So, so really that self-realization, it's when, it's when it's seen that we, we've just remained as this infinite field of consciousness within which all forms appear and that individuality is only a mode of experience. So, David, I want to double-click on that point because I have found that, um, I guess I can speak from my own personal experience, but it seems like even though I have had realization and and deeper moments of realization, I still find myself going into the emotional world and you know, reacting and judging, um, you know, and it, you know, sometimes it takes me some time to get back into this true nature, uh, feeling, uh, you know, and, and especially I think with, uh, what's happening right now in society today, it feels yes. like a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of triggers for a lot of folks. And there's also, frankly, I think a lot of despair, um, and, and hidden emotions under the surface. I think this pandemic, while there's been, you know, both pros and cons, a lot of people have had realizations, but also it's, it's caused a lot of stress for people. I'm just wondering, like, how do you, especially like, like where the world is moving and how fast it's moving, like, how do you yes. stay contained? How do you, how do you stay in your in your kind of podium of self-realization without getting disturbed or taken down? Because that's just been my experience um, right now. 
when we recognize that actually we never became the human being, that we're remaining as the infinite being, and that the infinite being is pristine, and it isn't affected by anything that is going on in the world. So with that level of clarity, we actually process uh, mental and emotional content in a different way. So, for example, you know, many therapies um, give rise to the idea that we have lots of subconscious programs and, you know, experiences from the past that we need to process. And although that's true to a degree, because, you know, we, we, we wouldn't deny that those experiences happened. What I would say is that the the emotions and, and the thoughts, they're actually um, being reintroduced into this pristine present moment at any time. So in reality, because we remain as the infinite timeless being existing in this present moment, and that's all we've ever been, we can't, so there is no, um, in reality, there is no past, there is only this present moment. So any idea we introduce to do with emotional content or tendencies or, or thoughts um, is because we're actually introducing them back into this very present pristine moment. So once we know that that's the way it works, then it's actually possible to decline the invitations because everything, everything is delivered to us as an invitation. So any emotional turbulence, you know, there are certainly tendencies that we've learned for instance before birth we're actually you know all of the the emotional tendencies and content um from our from our mum especially is kind of being downloaded into our nervous nervous system so that when we start to function in the human realm uh those experiences are available and we start to interact on that level of limitation but the the ultimate solution is to realize that we remain as the pristine being, that we have the option to be able to decline invitation. So that we're actually playing a frequency-based game. So there are two ways we can improve the nature of our experience um, and retain a level of happiness and peace. The The first one is actually by consciously favoring higher frequency experiences. So by having a sense of gratitude, appreciation, love, compassion, feeling of unity with all of life, then we can maintain a high frequency of experience. And that starts to predominate. And so there's actually no upper limit to the frequencies we can attain. And the more people on the planet who are doing that, then the higher frequency um, is, is possible in human experience. So that, that's the sort of positive side. And, and then the lower frequency emotions tend to be things that we've um, experienced in the past. So we each have tendencies to accept invitations into low frequency experiences. So say, you know, people tend to have a particular experience. Some people it's fear. For some people it could be depression. For others it could be anger. Um, you know, each of those low frequency experiences we have these invitations. So if we've, it's almost like a party that we've been invited to. So if we've been to a party before, which is to do with, say, fear, um, it's a bit like going on the ghost train, you know, that we know that if we go on this ride, we're going to have particular experiences. So if we 
if we take fear as an example, there may be there may be a previous uh, invitation that we've received. So something is delivered to us which triggers us, and so that that trigger is inviting us into the fear. But because we're the sovereign being, we can actually decline that invitation. And, and when we know we have the option to decline it, then the invitations become weaker. And it's so it's a bit like being invited to a birthday party and you don't particularly want to go. So you politely say, no, I'd rather not attend. And then at the next birthday, you may still be invited, but it, rather than having a, you know, a really nice card, they'd probably just send you an email and say, you know, would you like to come to my party? And, and so we decline again. And then the next year, you know, they, the person may see you in the street and say, oh, it's my birthday, you know, and, and they're inviting you again, but you actually decline. So by the third or fourth time of declining, we actually stop receiving the invitations and the invitations become weaker. And so that's true of everyone. It's really, it's seeing that we're remaining as the pristine being and that every experience, it isn't as though we have this great big pile of um, psychological problems. You know, we can have the idea of um, having a pile of psychological problems and, and because we're the infinite sovereign being, we can actually manifest according to the concepts we're holding. So if we're holding limited concepts um, and concepts which result in suffering, then that's going to play out because we're actually projecting our infinite consciousness through these various filters. And what manifests is what we actually believe to be true. Wow. And, you know, what about, I mean, the not inviting the birthday party analogy? Uh, I struggle with, with this concept because I've heard, you know, at least folks in the therapist realm will say suppressing emotions is making it worse. Um, so do you welcome it and then kind of allow it to move on or or do you just not? Like what, what sort of happens? Maybe I can ask you in your own okay. personal world. <laughs> of course. Well, it actually begins. Uh, it it began with me um, in about nineteen ninety nine, uh, two thousand, and initially uh, it was when I read Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. And there's a chapter in his book which is on the pain body, and uh, what Eckhart explained then is is that every every emotional every form of emotional turbulence is something which is actually only, empower, only empowered by our own consciousness. So um, he explains it as identification. So if, for instance, say, say we wake in the morning and for the first few moments we're just feeling peaceful and then the mind engages and we start to think of what we have to do for the day, we think of the problems that have been arising recently, uh, you know, the the sequence of work that we have to do in the day, if there are any difficult situations that we perceive to be happening. And so if we identify with all of those thought streams, then those thought streams activate the emotions. So we, we begin the day in a state of emotional turbulence. But when we when we discover that it's only our own emotional energy. It's, well, it's only our own life energy, which is actually empowering those emotions, that by observing them rather than identifying with them, 
we disconnect the energy supply. So, so if we wake in the morning or at any time of the day, there's emotional turbulence, rather than identifying with them and thinking, oh, we're having these emotions, it's seeing that actually we're, we're just this open space within which all forms can appear. And so when uh, there's an emotion which begins to arise, it's, it's better just to, to, to observe it rather than identify with it. And, and so using terminology like there's awareness of um, a feeling of fear or there's awareness of a feeling of unhappiness or there's awareness of a feeling of depression. And so by using that terminology rather than saying, oh, I feel really depressed today, I feel really unhappy today, I feel really afraid today, then we we begin to create the ability to actually decline the invitation. And the declining of the invitation is actually observing it as being independent. And then by by keeping it as an observation rather than an identification, we've disconnected the energy supply. And then that emotion begins to settle. And then what's revealed when the emotions settled is our true imperturbable effortless omnipotent eternal being Mm, i love that so much Ah, i love this so you could say there's an awareness called anxiousness (laughs) or there's an awareness called fear and not identifying with it which i think so many of us identify with our emotions and we have all these narratives and all these stories about why things are happening so that's such a powerful point Yes. Well, it's with, with the with, with anything, it's realizing that the, the awareness is actually the infinite field within which everything appears. So so it's seeing the emotions as forms appearing within awareness. So it, it's it, using the analogy of the cinema screen. When we wake in the morning, what's in front of us is, is a cinema screen. But actually, because we're the, the the sovereign being or the director of our own movie, we can actually decide what images we're going to be projecting on there. So for some people, we could be, you know, there, there could be a tendency or in the past we've projected fear or, um, you know, depression or something onto the, that screen. But it's realizing that, what precedes the arising of those emotions is actually this field of infinite potential, which is just the open space of beingness that we've always been. So we never actually move from that. And in the same way, the cinema screen isn't affected by any of the forms being projected on it. And when we know that, we can actually begin to consciously create the forms which are flickering on the screen of the human experience rather than subjecting ourselves to all sorts of things by actually investing in the consensus version of things. So one could say that the current experience um, that most people are having is an invitation into more limitation. It's an invitation into turbulence. It's an invitation into um, uh, a relinquishment of our sovereignty. And so the... the, uh, the the thing that's happening though actually is it's it's like this um it's like a big movie that's taking place because on the one side 
there's the mainstream version of things, which is inviting people into further limitation. Um, but also, and this is certainly true of all the people listening to our conversation, uh, there's also an opportunity to actually wake up to one's infinite nature. And um, th that's happening. Um, and and to, to quote a British scientist, Rupert Sheldrake, Rupert um, came up with the idea of the morphogenetic field, which is actually there's a single field of consciousness which we're all tuned into, and that's what that's actually what we are fundamentally. But the more we're able to introduce higher frequencies and um, awareness of our true infinite nature into that morphogenetic field, it becomes available much more easily for everyone, and that's really what's happening. You know, years ago. Um, you know, it seemed as though there were only very special people who could realize their true nature. But over the past decades, more and more people are doing that. And it's reached a point now where it's spontaneously available to many people. Mm, yes. Oh, I, I love that. Um, and what about the idea of, because this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but I think it's an important follow up point. Is this another? emotion that I think so many people feel, and I think probably is like the darkest and deepest wound of humanity, which is this feeling of, of being unlovable. Um, and so what is the nature of love and also love for self? Uh, you know, how, how do you, how do you use self-realization to access self-love really? It's, it's firstly realizing that we're gay, we're, we're playing a game of limitation. So the, the, the human realm of experience is based on duality. So the options to experience love in the human realm in the kind of mainstream version is based on personal love. So it's the idea that we can fall in love with someone and, and that then we could, you know, maybe have a very special experience. But, but lots of people pursue that and it doesn't quite work out in that way for all sorts of reasons. But the, the nature of realization is that firstly, we see that we're the infinite field of consciousness within which all forms are appearing. So when there's that realization, we realize that actually everything is arising within our own consciousness. So then that develops to a feeling of intimacy with everything. So we there there's an appreciation which arises. So just by looking around the room, you see you see the chair, and the chair is actually the infinite being which has taken on the disguise of limitation so that it can be enjoyed in the human realm of experience, but it's actually remaining as the infinite being. So it's almost, it's almost like a sacrifice. You know, the, the infinite being has sacrificed its infinite nature to appear in the, the realm of limitation and form. But... That's the appreciation of the way that works grows. So we not only have an appreciation for all of the static objects, but in terms of the animals, in terms of the plants, in terms of humans especially, there's a point at which, at which there's a recognition, um, which is a, it's a kind of intimacy which exists through all experiences. And when self-realization becomes established, and especially when the emotional turbulence subsides and the mind actually comes into service 
um, into the service of the infinite being rather than the individual being, then there's a level of depth in, in all experiences. So that the level of love is actually present in every relationship you have. And um, sometimes it, it needs to be um, <laughs> disguised slightly because, you know, it can kind of give the wrong idea sometimes. If you actually, if you speak in the way you feel, um, it could result in either a punch on the nose or a slap on the face sometimes <laughs> because people could totally misinterpret, you know, when, because it isn't something that's familiar really with most people at the moment. So it, it's, it's sometimes it needs to be guarded. But the, the thing I love about speaking one-to-one with people is that that is, that's actually the frequency which is available. And it's that, that is, that's really the frequency on which the interaction takes place and and so I, I love having those kind of conversations because it's it's possible to function in a completely unguarded and coherent way and there's there's a realization and I, this is how i feel a realization takes place that there is there's a there's a, a sense of this unified field of love and um totality and by actually sharing that um, field in a conscious way, where we're aware that that's going on, that actually, as it is in this conversation, there is just this singular field of consciousness that we're all tuning into. And that is just right here and now. And that's what we truly are. There is just these waves of sound appearing and waves of form appearing in this moment. But actually, it's just this infinite ocean of love. And the more we realize that, then the more that is accessible and able to be experienced, not only in a unified infinite way, but it actually finds its way into personal experience. And that's that's really, in my opinion, the reason for the human experience, because in for for everyone, the 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 feeling of love, for instance, of a you know, a parent for a child or you know, for one's partner or for one's parents or for one's pets, you know, it's that, it, it, it's the, the opportunity to experience love in a dualistic sense, which gives life, you know, the deepest meaning and purpose. But in self-realization, it moves on to a completely different level because what's coming in then is the the infinite love of the infinite being which is actually coming through into the human realm of experience and it's the mo- it's just the most amazing opportunity because the total fullness of our infinite nature is actually directed into this realm of limitation and then the the contrast that's experienced as a result of that is just amazing because it's the it's the totality expressing itself through the most extreme form of limitation Hmm. That sounds so uh, palpable, the feeling of, of what you're expressing about this, this kind of different type of love that exists, this total fullness and yes. um, the unconditional maybe aspect of it that frankly just I think is impossible to exist, right, <laughs> in, in a dualistic uh-huh. world. Uh, so I want to talk about our self-image and our self-concept. So many of us have grown up to believe that we are a certain type of person. Um, I grew up, you know, as a minority uh, in this country. 
Um, my parents are Iraqi. I grew up Iraqi American. And I'm, I'm really curious how you kind of help people think about how we can change our self-image and self-concept. Yes, certainly. Well, the, the, the first thing is to actually see the self-image and the self-concept as a construct. It's something which um, we actually begin with a, a clean sheet. You know, everyone comes into this experience um, fundamentally um, as infinite potential. But then the, there are certain limitations which, uh, you know, have been applied. And, um, and those limitations, um, they can be deconstructed. And so I actually have someone who I have a really deep and warm relationship with, um, who is a, a lady from Iraq who is living in Amsterdam. And, um, and we, we've spoken three or four times and, and it's just the most amazing relationship that we have because she, you know, she started by, you know, discussing the way her life was in her early life. She left, she left Iraq when she was quite young and she was explaining how she, she was, she needed to actually, because she was, um, she was the only girl in a family of boys. And she, she realized that the best way to actually survive in that situation uh, was to become like a boy. So she started wearing boys' clothes, had a haircut, didn't wear makeup, and she found life much easier then. But the, the way it's, um, it's developed since then, there were certain things where she, for instance, she loved traveling and, and she just really felt um, as though all of the cultural boundaries just fell away when she was traveling. But um, the, the, the way we've been having the conversation is actually to do with deconstructing those limitations and for her to see, you know, what her true potential is. And, and uh, you know, it's been delightful, really, because, um, you know, lots of the limitations have just fallen away. And, and that's the potential for us all. So any limitation we're holding is actually only because we're holding it to be true and so you know because we are the infinite being we're the sovereign being and we're the director of our own movie really and it may be that in an earlier part of our life we were subjected to limitations either through members of our family or through the education system um, but but when we realize that we can we can remove those limitations and we can we can actually realize our true infinite nature, then it just becomes the most amazing game. And um, the conversations I was having with this lovely lady, um, it started off quite serious, but now it's mainly total laughter. You know, we just have the most amazing time because it's just seeing the way these limitations, they're really an opportunity to catapult ourselves into our infinite nature. And it's it, that's why self-realization for many people is the most hilarious experience, just to see how we could have possibly <laughs> identified with all of these limitations, taken them to be true, um, and then allowed those filters to be reintroduced from moment to moment into our experience when actually we, we remain as the infinite being throughout. It's it's totally hilarious, really, the whole thing. It really, really is. Uh, it's so funny, David. I, yeah, I mean, I just laugh so hard thinking about 
who I used to be in my 20s and this, the things that I cared about. It's just, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't even yeah. think I would, would recognize that person or know her. Um, but so, wow, how fascinating that you know someone who is also Rocky and grew up in Amsterdam. Mm. I love that. So, David, I know we're kind of coming close to time, but I have a couple more questions. I, I'd like to ask a little bit about your explanation or maybe if you have uh, any kind of philosophy around time, um, especially when you say we are this infinite consciousness and that, because this this is you know a term that a lot of people talk about, but I think for people that may not understand, what does that mean to you? What does time mean to you? Time really is a... It's a, it's a construct. So it's, it's something which belongs to this realm. And so, for instance, if we take different examples of time, so there's the, there's the time we currently live by, you know, the various time zones. There's, um, you know, the idea of time passing in relation to our birth. Um, but also there are, for instance, in in the dream state of consciousness, time can be experienced in a completely different way. So we may have a dream where the time, you know, covers, say, 10 years. And then we wake up and re we realize that that dream took place in maybe five minutes. So mm. the the sense of reality is always relative and time is always relative to the experiences we're having. And so uh, something that's actually quite appealing in terms of time is that when we when we notice that actually we remain um, existing just within this time this moment then it's the opportunity just for everything to settle so the mind can settle the emotions can settle and also the 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 nervous system settles down so there's actually a bonus in a way to living from timeless, effortless being because while the mind's in motion, then it's actually giving rise to concepts to do with the aging process and to do with time going by. But one of the elements of effortless being, which I tend to promote, is that that we just having a sense of total ease, um, not feeling under pressure, never having to feel as though we, we, we need to hurry, just a sense of total self-respect because everyone is the infinite being and everyone deserves respect and everyone des deserves to be able to experience in a way which is just harmonious, joyful and relaxed. And the more we accept that life can be like that, then the more infinite intelligence actually comes in. So the element of time plays a far lesser part. So it, in one sense, you could say we change the nature of the way we experience time. You know, the consensus version is, you know, we all have to work really hard. We've got, we have all these deadlines to work to. And, um, you know, if we accept that, then we can just be constantly in this mode of seeking where we never feel relaxed. We never feel as though we can, um, you know, just give ourselves time to experience things totally in the present moment. Um, that we're all we're always venturing into some illusory future, and so we we can actually change the nature of experience of time by changing the beliefs we're holding about it. Mm. Wow, that's power very powerful, especially in I think the corporate world where 
it feels like, especially now, people tend to run faster when they lose control. Yes. Um, and it's just interesting. A lot of people are in like back to back to back meetings and that level yes. of, of running, I think is, is something that is trying to distract us from, you know, the greater insights. And I say this yes. because a lot of people ask me like, how are you able to get so many things done? And it's often when I don't, I'm not grasping or trying, or, you know, it's like the insight. It's like an, yes. a, a a, a layer of thought that is kind of exists beyond, you know, into the collective where I can just grab it and yes. keep going. And so it's so interesting because like, even if you cared about productivity, the way that we're approaching it is not serving anyone. And I think is also creating a lot of sacrifice. Um, yes. So, so David, oh man, I have so many questions, but I know we're at, uh, pretty much at time. Uh, what sort of things have maybe surprised you the most on this journey? The thing that surprised me most, I guess, is the the contrast between identification with individuality, which was present for me, you know, in the early part of our life, and being dependent on the human mind, to actually getting to the realization that there there are two kinds of intelligence available to human beings. There's the intelligence which is kind of running the world in a way, which is a combination of intelligence and fear. And then there's the intelligence which belongs to our infinite nature, which is a combination of intelligence and love. And we actually have the option to experience through either of those. Um, as you were saying in the corporate world, for instance, it's a combination of intelligence and fear. And so it's actually a misperception. All of the ideas which are to do with getting people to work really hard, back-to-back -back meetings, being under stress, um, it's actually really inefficient because um, those people, can't, they're not enjoying what they're doing. Not, they're not performing, you know, in an optimal way. Their, their, their ability is diminished generally. Um, but, but actually, the most surprising thing is the way infinite intelligence actually steps in where we give credit to it. So um, in a Christian sense, it's, it's like the return to the Garden of Eden. It's when we, we've actually ventured into the dualistic realm. We've eaten the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We've played that game. Um, it's been pretty unsatisfactory. But the, the, the wonderful thing is to rediscover that there's an intelligence which is available to us, which will begin to transform our lives. And it isn't that we have to have a kind of change, um, a dramatic change in the way we experience. It's just beginning to function on the basis of accepting that there is an intelligence which will begin to take care of the details in our lives so that we can have um, a, a much more um, enriched experience. Um, so it's, 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 it, it begins with um, self-respect and it begins with um, having a sense of appreciation for whatever situation we're in. Maybe we have a stressful job. Maybe we have a, a life which, where we seem overburdened. But actually just in those glimmers of space where there doesn't seem to be the burden, there can be an appreciation of, um, a, you know, a different possibility. And, and as we do that, then those spaces begin to grow and, and then our life can become transformed. So 
it can be a gradual experience from being under total pressure to a state of effortless being. And and that's that's really the um, the transformation available to everyone. But it's you know while we're accepting the consensus version of things, um, it, it's it's seeing that life's the challenge. You know we're the infinite being, and we've said well what we're going to do is we're going to parachute down into that realm of extreme limitation, and we're going to wake up to our infinite nature. And we're just going to turn everything around. So we begin in total limitation and emotional turbulence and mental preoccupation um, and then turn it around into a state of ease, delight, infinite love, infinite possibilities, and no upper limits to the experiences we can have. Mm. Wow. I love that. I'm going to put a, a quote on my wall. I am an effortless being. <laughs> Or maybe just there's an awareness <laughs> that is an effort, effortless being. Um, but I, yeah, I really, I feel so relaxed talking to you and hearing these concepts. And I think if, yeah, so much of culture just like rem, does not remind us of this and in fact makes us want to move fast. Um, so David, what is your main takeaway? What, what do you want to tell our audience as kind of your final call to action, if you will? It's realizing that everyone is the sovereign being, and that is actually, you know, quite unusual um, in terms of the sort of mainstream version of life. But it's realizing that this, the, the, the challenge of human experience is actually to awaken from identification with the limitations of this experience. And, and to realize our true, eternal, infinite, magical nature, which has never left us. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. And, and David, are there any books uh, that you could recommend to our audience to that maybe have inspired you um, or books that you think folks should just check out in general? I know you mentioned a couple in this conversation. Yes, well... In terms of disconnecting the energy supply from the emotions, I would say that Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, specifically the chapter on the pain body, um, will enable people to learn how to actually disconnect their own energy supply from the emotions that they're having. Because, you know, it's assumed that there are specific uh, emotions which arise according to, you know, events happening in life. But that's just a consensus belief that, it, you know, we, we don't actually need to experience anything in any particular way. For instance, I experience things like bereavement and loss and turbulence in total silence. They don't result in emotional turbulence. They're only beliefs that people have subscribed to. So we can actually change the nature of our experience. And so the... The, the main thing, there, because we remain as effortless being, effortless being isn't a destination, it's what we are when all of the motion stops. So when the, when the, the motion of the mind stops, when the, the motion of the emotion stops, then what remains is effortless being. And effortless being is right here and now. Um, so it, it's really um, just beginning to learn how to disconnect from that um there are interviews on my youtube channel which actually um go into this um knowledge in a much deeper way 
Um, there are also some some audio clips where I go into the details of uh, being able to maintain a high frequency of experience and how to decline the invitations into the low frequency emotion. So they're they're available for people to access. And uh, so the, the the most important thing for everyone though is to actually follow one's own intuition. Follow, follow the highest frequency and the, high, the highest feeling, that which gives you that sense of expansiveness, lightness, and infinite possibilities. Um, follow those feelings and they'll direct you because if you're listening to those rather than the conceptualizing mind, you're actually functioning from effortless being from the body of wisdom. That's your true guide. That, that will enable you to realize you're already home. Mm, I love that. Yes. Follow the highest feeling. And uh, David, you mentioned YouTube. So it's just David Bingham at YouTube. And then what's your website? It's nonconceptualawareness.com. Okay, great. And then the YouTube channel is just, we can search your name and find it. Yes. It's just, if you, if they just put in a search for David Bingham channel, it'll bring it up there. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, uh, David. I love the the call to action about follow the highest feeling and follow your intuition. Uh, So for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about what it means to be a self-realized being and live effortlessly with David Bingham. 